0: So praise the Lord. It's good to be here this morning in God's house. We welcome you all in the name of the Lord. Just a, a message that the Lord has given me for tonight, just to mention it. It's, if you want to understand what has happened, there's an awful lot of people that aren't saved, that are that are just in the world, they don't know the Lord, and they're trying to work out, and they know something is wrong. They know something is what they're saying, what has happened? What has happened? And you can see what has happened from the Scripture. The Scripture is very clear what will take place, and the Lord has given me a message tonight. It's called The Great Delusion, I want to encourage you to be here, invite people along, because I want you to ask yourself the question, has that delusion had an influence on me? Has that delusion had an influence on me? It's very important that we see from God's Word that there is a great delusion, It spread rapidly, and you can understand from Scripture what has taken place. And by that, I will, there is the gospel, the gospel is always in it, but it's to bring the understanding of what has happened, what has taken place in our nation from the Bible's point of view, not from Stormont's point of view, or not from all the players in the world, but from God's point of view, what has taken place. And there's a great delusion. And we can find that in God's Word, but we don't have to be deluded. We can walk in truth, and we can walk in the victory that there is in Jesus Christ. So remember that for tonight. Amen. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4? This is the final of this series on understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. We're in Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, we'll read that audibly together as we stand, and then after you take your seats, we're going to go over in the Haggai chapter 2, understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last day. So I'll give you a few moments. Sometimes those minor prophets are a wee bit difficult to find, uh, so I'll give you a few moments just to get your finger on those two places, Zechariah chapter 4, and then over in the Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. We're understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. And this is the final uh, part in, in these messages, uh, Zechariah 4. And once you're there, I think we should be ready. Would you stand to your feet and we'll all audibly read. We'll honor the Word of God. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. We'll read this all together. Pray, take your seats, and then we'll turn to Haggai chapter 2. Amen. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Father, we just pray for your help, for the Spirit of God to quicken your word and break the bread of life and illuminate our understanding by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, instruct us in thy way and show us your purposes in these days and glorify your name. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you turn over into Haggai chapter 2, hopefully you're able to find it. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. And we're looking at the last days and the work of the Holy Spirit in these days last days. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. The Bible says there, and I will shake all nations. The desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Of host. Now, many of you, most of you will know, understand the house that the prophet is speaking of, both in past tense and in future tense. The house, of course, in past tense, is referring to the revelation that came to Moses when God revealed to him the plan, the, the plan that is in glory, that is in heaven, and that Old Testament tabernacle, which would be a shadow of the heavenly. You remember that, Unique piece of furniture. There were many many unique pieces of furniture, all with types and shadows of the person of Jesus Christ. But in that Old Testament tabernacle, the Mosaic tabernacle, there was an ark, the ark of the covenant. That was a type of Christ. Um, it was gold, uh, and then there was wood over wood overlaid with gold, and that was speaking of the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And on that mercy seat, the law, and so forth. I don't want to make a study on it this morning. We have looked at it many times, but in that Old Testament and in that type, that was a reflection of the heavenly. And so they were led by the Lord with a pillar of uh, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the glory of the Lord was in that tabernacle. And as the glory lifted and began to move, so all of Israel would would pull down their tents and they would all move as, as the Lord would move and lead them on. We see that after the journeys of, of the children of Israel in the wilderness and then coming out, that the, 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 the tabernacle rested in two significant places in Scripture. Again, we don't have the time for to study it, but in Shiloh and also in Shechem, that is where the ark would rest. But it was David, a man after God's heart, if you turn over in the second Samuel chapter seven, that desired a permanent structure for the Lord. He desired to build a place where the Lord would dwell. In Second Samuel, if you have your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord had greatly blessed David, that he give him uh, he had given victory over all his enemies. And in 2nd Samuel 7 and verse 1, it says these words, and it came to pass when the king, as David, sat in his house, and the Lord had given them rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now. I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And so now David, is it's in his heart that he sees that God has so blessed him in his life and God has so enriched him in so many ways and given him uh, that house of his own. But now he sees this ark and the presence of the Lord and he desires to make a permanent structure that there was a place where the ark of the covenant could rest. And under the divine guidance, it's actually quite remarkable. If you know, The Bible is certainly not a boring book. When I hear people say, it's just a boring book, I can't get it. But honestly, it's, it is absolutely a treasure. It is so precious. When you see the, the, the hand of the Lord writes throughout all of Scriptures and the revelation of Jesus Christ, under the divine guidance uh, that David then chose to build the temple on that area known as Mount Moriah, that was also the place, of course, where Abraham would take Isaac And he would lay him on that altar. It's a type of the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ on the altar. This was the place that he would build. And this was the place that the ark ultimately would rest. But it wasn't David that built the house. It was Solomon. David had blood on his hands. And the Lord said, it will be your son that will build this house. He was a man of war. And so it was Solomon who built the house about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. This house was complete. And then we read those familiar chapters that we read, and we dearly love, and they're so precious. Like in Second Chronicles, when the prayer was made, and the people fervently began to pray unto the Lord, and, and humbled themselves before the Lord. And then what happened was that the glory of the Lord came down and filled the temple. What what a what a moment that must have been really for Solomon and the people after the labor and putting everything together, following the instructions of all that was given to David, and David said, This is how you build it, and the Lord will provide everything for it. And they prayed and they humbled themselves and they called on the Lord, and then the glory comes. That must have been a moment that that that's so remarkable in their lives. The glory of the Lord begins to fill the temple and the ministers couldn't minister and they fell on their faces before the Lord and the cloud, the glory cloud, it just, does that whet your appetite for the glory? The glory is the abiding presence of Jesus. That's what the glory is when He abides in the manifestation of His presence and everything comes out of Him all of what we desire and all of what we need and all of what we hope for, but it's all in the abiding presence of the Lord. He so filled the house. The attraction was Him. Of course, we read, and I'm going through, this is a zip line historical account, I suppose. But 400 years later, we read that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, there's another type in the Scripture of the Antichrist in the world that we are seeing The Babylonian system, that's all before us. We're seeing this Babylonian system increasing and manifesting on a daily basis in every fabric of our society. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this. I don't want it to become over-focused because our focus is the Lord, but we are just seeing a manifestation of this Babylonian system. robe all around us in every fabric of our society, in every avenue of our world, in every avenue of our political system and structure that is before us. I want to tell you something this morning. I know I heard a leading politician who's a believer saying, anyone believes in this New World Order stuff, it's nonsense. I want to tell you something. The Bible speaks of a Babylonian system that's rising rapidly, and we're watching it, seeing it, and experiencing it, and coming into contact with it every day. not led by politicians and their wisdom, because that's man's wisdom. And he is a brother in the Lord, and I pray the Lord will open his eyes. But friends, God help us Get yourself in the Word of God and know the days in which we're living. And so, Nebuchadnezzar comes, the king of Babylon, with all his might and all his power and all his armies. And he comes up and then it was an awful time. You go from uh, the glory coming into the temple, the abiding presence of the Lord. So tangible was His presence. The house so filled with His glory. The people so full of joy that God had so visited them. And the opposite takes place about 400 years later. Nebuchadnezzar rises up and he destroys, he ravishes the temple of the Lord. All those those, the silver and the gold that belong to the Lord. We just read it in Haggai. The whole house is ravished. The enemy takes everything. That's what the enemy will do. He's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Nebuchadnezzar is a as a as a personification if you like of Satan himself comes up to that house and he ravishes that whole house he strips that house of all its gold all its silver all those precious pieces of furniture all trailed out it just the, the whole work of the enemy is so awful you know when when the when the enemy comes and you can see his work you know in the natural when a when a thief breaks into your home when when Stephen and Trish had that encounter in their home and that thief, he, just, he wrecks. He just wrecks everything. And Nebuchadnezzar came and he destroyed the temple. He pulled it down. And the people of God were, were carried away. I want to tell you something. This was not because Nebuchadnezzar was powerful. I want you to listen very carefully. This was not because Nebuchadnezzar was a real mighty great man and he had a great army. <clears throat> this was nothing to do with it. It was nothing to do with Nebuchadnezzar's power. It was because God's people had turned from the God that loved them. That's what happened. They went their own way. They were backslidden in their heart, and they turned away from God. And that's why the enemy came. Let me tell you something very clearly this morning, friends. Jesus' power is not greater than Je- Satan's power is not greater than Jesus' power. The reason why the enemy comes is because we have given him a place. His power is not greater than the power of Jesus Christ or the blood of Jesus Christ, but here the people got slack. Things came into their heart that God began to notice and God was grieved at, and so that gave the enemy leeway in order that he could come. And so Nebuchadnezzar, was granted under the divine providence of God the ability to come in and and actually wreck everything, pull everything down. But one of the most important things with all the buildings and all the pieces of furniture, the most important thing in all of that was the day the glory departed. The day the glory departed. If you turn over into Ezekiel, uh, chapter 10, chapter 10 and 11. I'm not going to read the two chapters for time's sake, but what you see there is the progressive departure of the glory of God. It, it, it did not just happen in an instant. There was a progressiveness. If you read the, the chapters just in your own time, we see here the presence of the Lord was being withdrawn on a slow basis from the house over to the threshold of the door, the cherubims, the wings. And Ezekiel, who is a prophet of the Lord at this time, just at the point of the exile, some had already been taken, but now the Lord was was about to move and there was about to be a great departure and the whole temple was to be destroyed. But the most important thing that was going was the glory. It was the glory. In Ezekiel 11, We finally see the final stages of this in Ezekiel 11 and verse 22. We see that the cherubims lift up their, lift up their wings. The wheels were beside them and the glory of the Lord God of Israel was over, was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. This is quite a remarkable vision. Ezekiel is being, God is revealing to the prophet what's happening in the spiritual, what's happening in the realm. There's a lot of things on the outward that you see, but you gotta know what's happening in the spiritual. You gotta see what's taking place in the realms of the spirit. And so Ezekiel is seeing this vision of the progressive departure of the glory of God. The people were hearing false prophecies. There's a lot of false prophets that were speaking of that time saying, you're hearing this whole message about the second coming and the sudden change, and we're telling you, peace, peace, all is well. That's what the prophets I mean, it's a mirror image of our day. Everything is well. There are many that are standing on pulpits. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying the factual parts of it that are standing and saying, peace, peace, all is well. All is fine. And there was a lot of false prophets in these days that were saying that. And the people were saying, well, look, Ezekiel, you're saying this, but you know, this guy down here, and he speaks Greek and Hebrew, he's saying this. And he went to college, and he went through it, and he has a PhD and everything else and all of that. And whether he does or he doesn't, is, it doesn't really matter. But this is what he's saying. And the prophet's saying, I'm seeing something that you don't see. The most tragic part of all of this was the glory, the abiding presence of the Lord was starting to go. Why? Because God had looked in the heart of his people and he'd seen the condition of their heart. And it was in his divine providence that he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come, not because Nebuchadnezzar was greater than God, but because God's people were backslidden in their heart and God seen their heart. And so we see this, it's very significant in verse 23 when it says that the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city as Jerusalem and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. The mountain on the east side of the city is the Mount of Olives. The final place that Ezekiel's looking at where the glory is departing is resting up on the Mount of Olives. Matthew chapter 21, if you go right over into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. Matthew 21 and verse 1. They drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus sent the two disciples in, and you know He sent them in to get that donkey, and right down into verse 8, just for time's sake, it says, and there was a very great multitude of, spread their garments in their way. Others cut down branches of trees and strewed them in the way. And multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. He comes riding on a donkey to fulfill Scripture. Hosanna! Hosanna to Him in the highest. And He was come into Jerusalem. The whole city was moved. And they said, Who is this? They didn't know who He was. And here's Christ the last time that Ezekiel speaks of the glory, as far as the departure goes, we'll go back in a moment because the glory also returns. What we see here now, Christ coming, the glory of God wrapped in human flesh, riding in on a donkey. What we think sometimes of what it's going to be is not what it's going to be. This was the center of the earth as far as concern and worship and the seeking of God. I believe I would I would love to go to Israel someday. I doubt it's going to be possible unless I get jabbed and dinged and double dinged and whatever else they're going to do to me. Remember double dinging? You maybe don't remember at the city bus. That's years ago. That's an old one. Um, I'm confessing my sin now when you double dinged your ticket to get on the bus and you got the wax and then you can wipe it off. Elaine knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry, that's a confession there of sin. That's a long time ago. But you know... What I would love to see is some of just the historical sites because I think it would be absolutely wonderful to see the places that, that are there. It's actually true. It happened. It's on this earth. It's in Jerusalem. It's in, it's in all those places that are, but one place that I would not like to go is the Weeping Wall. I wouldn't like to go. Many want to go there, but I would not like to go there because there are men that are standing believing that they're at the closest place of the holy place, the holy of holies, and they're blind, and they're crying, and they're calling, and they're praying, and they don't realize that he's come. I believe it's the saddest place on this earth. They're looking for him, but he's already come. What they expected to come riding over the Mount of Olives was a great army. We had a great discussion yesterday of what are we going to do? What will happen if they come in? What would you do? Would you resist them? Would you rise up? Would you fight them? What would you do if they come in to arrest you? What would you do? Would you fight back? And this particular individual, he's got a gun cabinet and he's, he's ready. But that's not our fight. That's really not our fight. Listen, brothers and sisters, I believe that persecution is coming to this country. I do believe that. I do believe that. But you'll not see me. You would have seen me a lot of years ago around the streets of Belfast that I would have fought, but I'll not fight. I will never fight. I will never lift my hand or never lift my feet in order to fight for this kingdom because this is a different kingdom. I'll just believe what I believe. And I've said it often and I want to say it again. That day they are, that they do come, and I'm not saying it's to frighten anyone, That we should not be afraid. May God give us the grace to stand, and if I go, then somebody's up next. Adrian, you better be ready for next Sunday. Because that's what God's looking for, people that love Jesus. And we stand on His Word and we believe it. And that's the simplicity of it. And so they take our buildings, they take our houses. You know, we send our money out to the missions across the world and say, you stand, you believe. Don't be afraid. They'll take your house, they'll take your car, they'll take your family. But don't you worry, we are praying for you over here in the West. What happens when it comes here? And friends, it may and could. I personally believe it will. I have no word of the Lord in that, but I have a sense that it's coming. And what we often think it's going to be isn't it? Tradition gives us an idea of what we think it should be. Tradition's a very dangerous thing. They had hundreds of years of tradition, and when he came over the mount on a donkey, they said, Who is this? The glory of God, the eternal Son, wrapped in flesh, and he didn't know who he was. Worse still, A few days later, they nailed him to a cross. That's religion. That's what religion will crucify you. The glory came in human flesh, and should this not be a warning to the church, should it not be a warning to us all that we can become shells filled with activity but have no glory we can have facilities up to the top spec with all the latest and that's not i'm not saying that's wrong because you can have a shed and think you're being so humble and there's still no glory but we can have all of this we can have all the activity we can have everything of our statement of faith and all our boxes ticked and all our ideas and what way we think it should be. And then we might think it shouldn't be this way. If you done it my way, it's about the methodology, then we would get the results. And it's not about the methodology and it's not about the facility and it's not about the activity. What God was looking at is people, he's seen their heart. He's seen their heart. The glory and the abiding presence of the Lord. Is that your desire? I want to ask you, is that your desire? Him? Is that what you long for? Is it Jesus? Is your, is your desire the Lord? Have you lost the desire for Him? Have you gone through the, the motions as we often would say, but really this morning it's in the heart. Is there a desire for Jesus? The abiding presence of Jesus comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in the last days. Uh, We have seen the shaking, that's for sure. We have seen, and we are seeing, the sifting, that's for sure. The sifting that's taken place is quite potent, quite powerful. But that's for the purpose of the glory. That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory that manifested in our midst. And so we might seek power. We might seek gifts. We might seek callings. We might pray for the harvest. Those things are not wrong. They're all right. But what we need is the person. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. It was not because of the power of Satan or demonic strongholds, or the methodology, it was because that when God looked down and the glory began to depart, he seen their hearts. Someone said to me on the way out the door a few weeks ago, I wonder if he did come, if he really came the way we're praying for him to come. I wonder would there might need to be a bit of cleaning up first. and he didn't say anything else and walked on. And all I could say to that is, Amen. Me? Yeah. He sees into the heart, and if he came, do you know in the New Testament, there was two who were struck dead. That might sober us up a little bit, but it should, because he's seen their heart. Satan had filled their heart that they would lie to the Holy Ghost. In the New Covenant, this is, by the way, this is not Touching the Ark in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, we're under the New Covenant and grace. It was in the New Covenant, under grace, that two people who were land of the Holy Ghost were struck dead. that That's the truth, friends. That's in the Scripture. And so if he looks down on the... the, I'm talking about the church in a general, and he sees all the malice and the murmuring and the jealousy and the backbiting and the gossip and the unforgiveness... And then we say, Lord, send your glory this morning. Send your holy presence. Fill this house with your glory. Fill us all with your power. And he comes the way he desires to come. It just might look a bit different to what you think it's going to look. There has to be a bit of cleaning up. In Ezekiel chapter 12, if you can go back over to Before we move into Ezekiel 43, I have good news, by the way, the glory does come back. The glory does come back. But in Ezekiel chapter 12, the word of the Lord, to show you why the glory departed and God was going to bring a judgment on his people, Ezekiel chapter 12, the word of the Lord also came unto me saying, Son of man, thou dwells in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see, they do not see. They have ears to hear, and they hear not, for they are a rebellious house. They, they, they had the ability to see, but they couldn't see. They had the ability to hear, but they could not hear. God speaking to the prophet of a strong, He's saying they have all the facility, the faculty to hear what I'm saying, but do you know what the problem was? The problem really was their heart. There was a rebellious heart. The Lord said, therefore, and this is quite profound what happened. The prophets in the old were quite unique characters in many ways. But now the Lord speaks to to, to Ezekiel and says, Therefore, son of man, prepare thee stuff for removing. Remove by day in their sight. Thou shalt not remove from thy place to another place in thy sight. It may be that they will consider, though they be a rebellious house, what the Lord was saying to Ezekiel was. Now, Ezekiel, know what I want you to do? I want you to pack your bags, pack light. Don't try to bring everything. Just pack together your essentials. I've heard this essentials word. That's all we hear. Get your essentials together. And you as my prophet, I want you to get your stuff together. And I want you to walk down the aisle. I want you to walk out the door. And all the people are watching saying, What's going on with Ezekiel? What's happening here? You know, when we watched the the, the, the events in Afghanistan, what did they say? They're starting to say, that once the president jumped on the helicopter and he was out, the whole thing just collapsed. The significance of all of this was, like, Ezekiel's still here. The old preacher's still here. Like, there's a Sunday night gospel meeting, so we can still go along. Jesus hasn't come yet. We can hear the word of God every Sunday morning. Are you going this morning? Maybe are you going, Nick? I don't know whether I go or not. But hey, who's on? Doesn't really. We're sure we'll go because the old preacher's still preaching the old message, still going on about the second coming of the Lord, still talking about all these things. But what happens when the day, when you see the preacher and you see the remnant and you see the, the the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ? What happens when they're all taken out? What happens when the day comes and it's over? What happens when there is no Sunday morning service, there is no preacher, there is no one that you can phone, there is no mommy, there is no daddy, there is no neighbor, there is no work colleague that's sharing the gospel and and pleading with you to get saved and, and speaking to you, even those that are all sitting in the church and going through all the motions in your heart so far from the Lord, and you're not living right, and you're just going through the motions of all of this, or maybe your heart's so hardened, or it is a rebellious heart, and you're filled with all the stuff, and all the envy, and all the murmur, and all the jealousy, and the Lord's saying, listen, there's a day coming. And there's Ezekiel. He's got his little bag. and just see him packing his little bag, and he's saying, folks, I want to let you know I'm out of here. And they've been listening to all the false prophets who said, peace, peace, all is fine. Don't worry about it. And Ezekiel's walking down the road and said, the Lord's told me to leave. And maybe at that point, they'd waken up. But they didn't. They got their system. They got their tradition. They got what they had. They got all their stuff. When he's walking away, they still didn't grasp it. Friends, we are in serious days. We are in serious days. Good news is the glory comes back. If you turn over to Ezekiel chapter 43, remember we're speaking about the glory of the latter house, so where does the glory come to? Will it come to Jerusalem? Eventually he will come again and his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives, those pierced feet, that's for sure. But the glory or the abiding presence, will it where will it come to? There's a structure, it's I know I know it's not politically correct. There's a demonic structure sitting on the Temple Mount that's it's just demonic. That's what it is. Friends, I am not, I will not ever, ever be conditioned by the political correct system. I will never be, I will not. There is a conditioning of everybody and everything and everyone. I'm not going to be nasty, not going to be mean, not going to be cruel to anybody, but we need to know the day we're in. They are trying to condition what you say, what you think, what you believe. I will be conditioned solely by the Word and by the Holy Ghost. And people in the church are going to be offended by this. I, I know that, and you know that, but we're not being mean. We're going to believe. Ezekiel 43 says Afterward, he brought me to the gate. Here's another vision. Even the gate that looks towards the east and behold the glory of the Lord God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the noise of many waters and the earth shined with His glory and it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. In other words, it was similar, but here's the glory that's coming back. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell upon my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. And the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord, it filled the house. There was a glory that filled the house. Haggai speaking here of the house, the latter house being filled with the glory of the Lord. These were the minor prophets, major prophets in that last stages of that, that captivity that took place and they were plunged into that Babylonian captivity. We know they came back. They led the, the bases. Nehemiah built the walls. They put up the altar. But the house, the house had never, has never seen the glory again. Never again has it seen the glory. Just when Jesus came in himself in flesh and went into that temple and pulled down all their tables and all their tradition and said, my house will be called the house of prayer. And as he cleansed the house, then the house is filled with his power and the children come and the we Enzos and the we, and the we Saskia's and all of those are rejoicing and praising the Lord in the house of God because he's filled the house with his glory. The glory of a latter house will be greater than not even of the former. What Solomon experienced, what Moses experienced, what the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness, the glory is greater than that glory. It's beyond our comprehension when we see that there is an end time glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say? That God begins to deal with the temple. His temple. What is His temple. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is the dealing of the Lord. You know what? God this this morning gave me a message, but I want to speak sometime when He leads me. The blessings of adversity. The blessings of because you do not find what's in you or in me until there is adversity. You do not find what's in us until there's a storm. We're going across the, the Sea of Galilee, sailing, sailing. A Jesus in the vessel will smile at the storm. Then the storm comes, but then we find out really what we're singing. What's in us? What's in our hearts? In 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Paul writes and says, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." What fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? Why are you battling? Why is your Christian faith not in the place it's supposed to be? Why does it not work for me? Why is it not working? I see these people rejoicing and, and having a song and living the life for Jesus. It doesn't work for me. Well, then come out from among them and be separate. Stop trying to live two lives at the one time. Stop living in the world and living in the church. Live for Jesus. Surrender everything and its joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's no disappointment, but i will never work by trying to do both. That's what Paul's saying. What agreement has Christ with Belial, or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What house is he referring to when there's an end time glory? Ye are the temple of the living God. This is so profound, but may it be more than just an intellectual understanding. May by the power of the Spirit of God fill the temple with His glory. That's you, friend, of your are saved this morning. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. When Haggai says, and he didn't get the revelation of the fullness of this, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, there's an end time glory. He's going to shake the nations of the world. And the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than we've ever seen before. Who is the glory and who is the temple? It's Christ in the temple, the hope of glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit looks and says, I want to fill the temples with my glory, but the hearts need cleansed. The temple needs a cleansing. God dwelleth not in a temple built with hands, but that which is without hands. And so we see it in the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, if you turn over to it, I'll not read the whole chapter again. You know the story so well. We know it so well. But in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost fell in that upper room, Friends, listen. The most of Jerusalem missed it by a stone throw. I want to tell you, they were not. He did not come to the magnificent temple, Herod's temple that was built. The glory never visited that temple. He did not come to that great temple that was built by man and Herod, had raised it up, but he came to a humble upper room. They missed it by a stone throw. You could be in all of that tradition and you'll miss the purposes of God in the last days. If God has brought you out of it, praise God He has. Because He's brought you into a, not this place. He's brought you into a place in Himself for an end time glory. For the purposes of God. And so it says in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on 120 people, the glory of the Lord is simply God God, God the Father displaying God the Son by God the Holy Spirit in a human body. The temple of the Lord. It is profound. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us with the power of the Spirit of God and not for the purpose of us to feel good, but that Jesus would be seen in us and manifested through us. The reality of Christ, Him, Brother Clinton said to me 15 and a half years ago, you don't have opposition. You don't have persecution. As I went through my moping story, he just hit me a slap in the back and said, when Christ is made real in your life, then you're going to have opposition and persecution, but he'll be real. The reality of Christ in your life by the power of the Spirit. Peter says in Acts two, verse seventeen, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. How many people have read this before? All of us, isn't that right? All flesh, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. All my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out. In those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned the darkness and the moon and the blood before the great and the notable day of the Lord. Peter takes up that prophecy of Joel and he catapults it right to the end of the age and he says, in the last days, God's going to pour out His Spirit again in all flesh. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God's preparing a people and a bride. He's separating, He's sifting, He's sanctifying. He's doing a work. What for? To fill the church with His glory. That's the people of God, not the buildings, but the people. Fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit just before the great and the notable day of the Lord. Not days upon us, friend. Not days very near. Before He does, I believe this. I see this. I believe this with everything in my being. Before He does, there's a final in-gathering of souls. There's a final in. That's a good thing to say. That's a nice thing. Tim, I hear you say that. Now, you don't find it in the Scripture, but I think it's a lovely thing that you believe that. I'm going to tell you, friends, I believe it because it's in God's Word. That's why I believe it. In Joel chapter three and verse twelve it says let the heathen be awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there I will sit the judge. This is speaking of that final age. For there I will sit the judge all the heathen round about. This is Joel three and verse twelve. And then it says put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Get you down for the press is full for the fat's overflow for their wickedness is great. The wickedness that has increased in these days. And there's multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The Lord's day is very near. And there's multitudes are undecided. They don't know. There's many. but There's some here believe that it's true, but they're not going to make a decision. They're indecisive. They know it's true, but we're in that valley of decision and the day of the Lord is so near. Christ is about to come. Judgment is coming, and yet you're still in the valley of decision. You're still in that place of being indecisive. Will I follow the Lord? Will I follow the world? But what will my friends say? What will people think? What will they say? What will they say? Will I be able to do it? How can I live it? I don't think I could live this life. It's too hard. It might be okay for you, but I can't live it. Friends, all of those are the lies of the enemy. That's just lies of the enemy plowing through your head. You can't live it. Praise the Lord. None of us can but it's Christ in us. Living through us by the power of God. And so the great day of the Lord is near. The harvest is ripe. There's multitude. Verse 14 in the valley. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the sun and the moon shall be darkened. That's what, that's what Peter said. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall roar out of Zion and honor His voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth will shake but the Lord... Listen, church, this morning, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. The Lord will be the hope of His people. He's our hope in this world. And the glory, He says, of this latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. There's a shaking. Is there not a shaking? Have you witnessed it? Do you see it? Do you sense it? The shaking? That's not just a a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing. There's a spiritual shaking. There's a sifting. And what is this glory in this house? What is this glory? If you turn over into Colossians chapter 1, I want to speak about this harvest because I believe it's so important that we see the purposes of God and bringing in the harvest. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25. I'll show you from Scripture the harvest. But I want you to see that the hope or the glory is you. In you, Colossians 1.25, Paul says, Wherefore I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest. Where is it made manifest? To his saints. The saints. It's revealed to the saints of God. To whom God would make known. This is to the saints. What is riches? What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? That's you and I, which is Christ, and you the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his work, that which worketh in me mightily. The glory of the latter house is Christ in you. It's manifested to you. It's revealed to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The riches of the glory of God in Christ is in that temple that's been saved by the grace of God. It's in you. But it needs to come out of you. It needs to be seen in you. It needs to be seen in me. That glory of Christ. As a soul is saved, One soul is saved. One soul, one beggar off the street, one prostitute, one drunkard, one self-righteous man, one young person, one older person, when they are saved, the uniqueness of salvation is that there is another place on this planet that God the Holy Spirit can display God the Son by the power of the Holy Ghost. That is awesome. That is the new birth. That is the miracle of life. That is the greatest miracle. That is not a decision or a hand up. That is being born again. We have made it something so much less than what it actually is. It's a miracle. A life has been changed. A drunkard has been set free. A self-righteous man has found Christ. A prostitute has been delivered set free by the power of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is seen in their life. That's awesome. Religion says it's how you dress, it's how you look, it's how you think, it's how you talk. It's all about the outward. But Christ saves a man by being born again of the Holy Ghost. And then they come together as a spiritual habitation of God through the Spirit. This is a spiritual house. What makes the house great this morning, and I say this, but I say this reverently because I know God has done it and He has blessed it. But what makes the house special this morning is it's a spiritual house. And Christ is here. And we are a holy habitation for God. The attraction of this house, you'll hear this a lot, is Jesus Christ. That's the attraction. There's a shaking. And there's a sifting. And the sifting hasn't stopped. And neither has the shaking. It hasn't stopped. It's actually, someone said to me yesterday, I don't like mentioning names, but I'll just say what they said. Listen, it's all going to die down in a few weeks. It's all going to just peter out and we'll all be back Barbecue, everything, flip-flops, cases packed, tickets booked, we're away, we're all back to normal. That's contrary to God's word. But that is the natural man. I'm not saying, by the way, if you're going on holiday, don't feel condemned. (laughs) Go on your holiday, it's okay. But if we honestly think that this is all going to be Tickety-boo by Christmas. Friends, I'm telling you something, but a lot of people believe that. We're running into something that's so significant in the prophetic calendar of God. But there's a harvest. There's a harvest. Anyone excited about the harvest? Is there anyone excited about the harvest? Harvest? I'm not talking about the spuds, by the way. (laughs) That's great, praise the Lord. I'm talking about a harvest of precious souls. What's this all about? I I pray, friends, that I'd love to make an announcement from this platform someday. Can I ask all that are saved, would you stand outside to let the sinners in? Do you know the tragic thing about that? Some people wouldn't want to give up their seat, especially if it's raining outside. You think I'm joking? That's the tragedy of it. That's what we were to. But there's a harvest. I want to show you the harvest and show you it from Scripture. If you turn to James chapter 5, I'm going to close with this. James chapter 5, verse 7. Why is he not come? Do you know what a charlatan on the platform said this week? That the reason why, the reason why Jesus hasn't come, is because you haven't been given enough money. He's looking on the airplane. He's a charlatan, friends. He's a charlatan. That's strong language. That's what the Bible calls him. He's making merchandise of the people of God. The reason why he hasn't come because you haven't given enough. I want to tell you something, Vicate. Vacate that building and turn off that rubbish on that God channel. I'm not saying it's all. But listen, let me tell you, friend, the reason he hasn't come is because he's waiting. And I'm so glad he is. I'm so glad he's patient. I'm so glad that he's just holding back a few more days and he hasn't come. Do you know why? Because if he came... If He came, we have too many loved ones that are not ready. And you know the Father waits. He's patient. In James 5 and 7 it says, Be patient. The Lord then tells us to be patient. Be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And He is long, He's long, He's long patience for it until He receives the early and the latter rain. Then He says to us, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. He's about to come. But he's so patient. What's he waiting on? Why is he holding back? Why is he not come? We've heard about this for years. That's what the world say. They're fulfilling prophecy. We hear about the second coming. You always preach that. And you know why he hasn't come? Because he's so patient. He's so filled with long suffering. Why? Because he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to go to the lost sinner's hell. He doesn't want you to be plunged into the place that's reserved for the devil and his angels. That's a real place. That's God's hell. He created it for the devil and his angels. But he's not willing that any man go there because that's why he sent his son on the cross to die. And he waits and he says, Would you come? Why will you not come? Well I have my religion, I I have my things to do, I have my places to go, I have my people to see, I have my career, I've got all these things. I want to enjoy the world. And the Lord is waiting patiently. Can you see him waiting? You haven't come yet. And he's waiting patient for the precious fruit of the earth. That's a harvest that he's waiting for. What does that speak of? What is that? What is he speaking of? It's actually so profound. If you go right back into the Old Testament, because you pick up these, these types and shadows, but it's actually quite a quite a wonderful thing. Way back in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, the Lord was speaking to Israel and they were getting ready to go in, obviously, to possess the land and the land that God had given them. And they were going forth into that land that was flowing with milk and honey. In Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9, it says, And the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say unto them, When you come into the land which I have given you, I have given you this land, which your land. Now that's the possessing of the land. We sing that song. It's right. Gird up your armor. Let's go in, go to war. But the land is not only to be possessed, but the land is to be harvested. We're to bring forth fruit from that land. The Lord said there that ye shall reap the harvest thereof. And when you reap the harvest, then shall ye bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. It's actually so, it's so lovely because this, this is Christ. This is actually Jesus. What happened? And I appreciate Sarah and the reception class giving me their, their, their first fruits that was on their notice board. But you had a sheaf. I was asking Nikki, who's got a sheaf? Someone's got a sheaf. She says, phone one of the farmers. I said, it'll be too busy. But the sheaf was the first of the harvest. I know it's a bit dead, Adrian. It's the best we could do. <laughs> the sheaf was the first of the harvest. When you go into that land and there's a harvest that's coming up, you possess the land because I give you the land. It's your land. But there has to be a harvest off that which you possess. It's not just that we're holding the grind that we've got to be patch here, that we're not going to let anybody. It has to be more. It has to be a harvest. And when you go in and you possess that and the harvest comes, he says, you take the first fruits of that harvest. You get the, that little sheaf from your barley harvest, but you bring that to the priest. That's the first fruits of your harvest. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again, he's the first fruits of the dead. When he represented us in his priestly office, when they give it to the priest and the priest went before the Lord, and in some way, I believe it's something like this here, he would wave the first fruits of the harvest before the Lord. And they had to do it in faith. Why did they have to do it in faith? Because they knew the rest of the harvest depended on God's blessing and the power of the Holy Ghost. The early and the latter rain. Lord, you blessed us with the first fruits, but we give you of our first fruits. Now, Lord, we believe in you because there's a whole harvest behind us that need to come into the house. And so the priest would stand and he would wave. I say, Lord, we thank you. you bless. blessed. Anyone blessed? Anyone blessed this morning? Anyone got a roof over their head, a shirt on their back, a dinner in their stomach? Did you get a breakfast? Did you get a dinner? Are you blessed? Did you drive to church in a car? Anyone blessed this morning? Do you want to weave it on to the Lord? Say, thank you, Jesus. I'm blessed. Oh, we're too religious for that. We can't do that. My God and the priest would stand with the first fruits and he'd say, God, we believe you, but there's a whole harvest behind us. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he went up into the glory of heaven. It doesn't record it all fully for us, but in the types, it's all there. He entered into glory as our great high priest, as the first fruits from the dead, and he weaved himself as a sacrifice and said, Father, I have a whole harvest coming behind me. And the Father waits patiently for the harvest. The harvest has to come. The way of offering has been made. And in faith, there's a whole harvest. There's fields that are white on the harvest and they haven't been brought in. Lord, send laborers. Send laborers. Never lose what this is about or what the vision of this work is. Send them, Lord. Let them go. Don't let them rot in pews, but go in faith. Go into the highways and the byways and the towns and the cities and preach the gospel. We have a harvest to bring in. Every man in his order, the Bible says. Do you know what happened when Jesus rose from the grave? Matthew 27. I heard an intellectual Man who's completely blind mocked this verse, and I, I I just began to laugh. But Matthew 27, verse 52, when he rose from the grave, the Bible says the graves were opened in Jerusalem. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose. This has already happened. And came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. When he rose, those old saints, I don't know who they were, but all those that had died in faith and Christ arose triumphantly over the grave and over the power of sin and darkness, the graves in that holy city opened up. A man who'd been dead for centuries walked into the streets of Jerusalem alive. The first fruits of a harvest, and Jesus led captivity captive and went up into the realms of glory and said, This is the first fruits, Father. But for two thousand years, we're going to reap in the harvest. And in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh. And there's a harvest. The Bible says we're to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our increase and our barns will be full. In one Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, become the firstfruits of them that slept. The fulfillment of all of this is in the resurrection of the dead that is coming. When the dead and Christ shall rise first. He Himself, the firstfruits in its order. He died. He was buried. And would the church say amen this morning? He rose again on that third day. He rose triumphant. And he stood before the Father and said, "Father, I'm the first fruits. I'm the first fruits. And these saints that have risen with me out of Jerusalem—they're the saints and the faith that have died. But this is the first fruits. Uh, This is the order. But Father, there's a whole harvest to come in. And he looked ahead in time." He looked ahead of time and he's seen you, Judith. He looked ahead of time and he's seen you, Jeff. He looked ahead of time and he said, There's Ruth. I need to bring Ruth in. He looked ahead of time and seen Sandra. I need to bring them in. And there's more that haven't been brought in. The harvest. The harvest. At the beginning of that harvest, they knew everything. Everything depended by faith. On Him giving them the reins. The day that we think we can do it without the rain, we're doing it without the Holy Ghost. The harvest of souls. The harvest of souls. Faith. The husbandman is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my Spirit saith the Lord... I want to tell you something. I long for him to come. But I also want to tell you this. There's something inside me that says, God, I'm glad you haven't come today. I'm so glad you haven't come today. Why? Why? Because there's a few more reshifts that we need to bring in. And that's your mum and dad. And that's your brother. And that's your sister. And that's your daughter. And that's your son. And that's your neighbor. And that's your granny. And that's your granny and grandmother and granda. And we say, God, we want to bring them all in because He's not willing that one would perish. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Lord, we need. The end time glory. So Lord, what you need to do in us? What you need to do in us? Whatever you need to do in us, Lord, we say, would you do it? Do you know what that will happen? What's going to happen, friends? If you pray that prayer, I can tell you this from experience, and I've a few more to go. You're going to, you're going to experience storms, because the storm reveals what's in us. It tells us what substance we're made of. Adversity. Circumstances. All of a sudden, you find out what's in there. God, I didn't know I was there. You know what to do? You can get on your knees as quick as lightning and say, Lord, sorry. You know what he says? Son, I was trying to show you something there. I want to make you more like me. And see if it's a real deep-rooted thing. that's lying in there for years. Sometimes it is. Most of the time it is. Do you know what's amazing? There's a nail-pierced hand that can go way, way deep and he can pull the whole root out. He's amazing if we're willing. The proud will say, it's not me. It's him. It's her. That's not my heart. God knows my heart. I tell you something, God does know your heart. God knows all our hearts. Just thank God, as we said on Wednesday, if our heart condemns us, there's one that's greater than our hearts. He's cleaning up the heart, the temple. He's building up the temple. Is it the chorus? Building up the temple. I remember Jonathan singing that, sitting on his granny's tea. Building up the temple of the Lord. The way we Jacob sings it, that's the way he used to sing it. Building up the temple of the Lord. And the boys cry, Boys, girls, will you help us? The girls say, Boys, will you help us? We're building up the temple of the Lord. God cleans the temple. But Lord, it's not just a cleansing. We need the glory. And the glory's coming, friend. It is coming. But I don't want to miss it like Jerusalem. They missed it by a stone throw. They missed it by a stone throw. They thought it was all coming, ended up, beautiful building but he came into a humble upper room. God help us. Keep us low. Let the glory come. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I pray. Lord, thanking you that you're our great high priest, And you have gone up into the glory. And you have defeated every power of hell and darkness. You have triumphed. Lord, I thank you that you represent us today, not to any of our merits or who we are or what we have done. How great we think we are, but Lord, we're represented up in glory on the merits of the blood of Jesus. Oh God, we are your temple Lord, we want to be fit for purpose and ready for use for the abiding presence of God, the attraction, the attraction of Jesus in our lives. Lord, we pray for our loved ones this morning that are so far, seem so far from you. I thank you, Lord, there's no one too far that you cannot reach. Lord, would you prepare this house for the harvest, for the barns to be full and running over with precious souls. Lord, we need you more than ever before in these days. But we thank you for your promise and your assurance that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you'll be with us even to the end. So Lord, you know our hearts this morning. You hear every cry. You know who's on our heart. You know who we're thinking about. You know where our prayers are focused. You know our loved ones, where they are. But, oh God, this morning we pray by the power of your Spirit, draw them in one by one. Draw them in, Lord. Lord, for those this morning in this house or that are in that valley of decision, multitudes, you say, Multitudes, oh God, this morning we pray. May they surrender all to Jesus. May this be the day that they truly surrender, not with their mouth, not with a hand, but with a heart. Fully surrendered. Lord, we need your glory. We need the early and the latter rain. We need the power of your spirit. Would you fill us all? Fill us all with thy power. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.